week is brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with the military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Be sure to enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast. And in support of women in developing countries, head over to CombatFlipFlops.com and become part of their unarmed forces today. It, it makes sense to me that most people would get your name wrong. Absolutely. It's Lefko, Lazco. Lazco? Lazco. Well, I mean, yeah, people just make shit up. But there's there's no S. No, there isn't. But when you're on the phone, you can't tell a difference. <laughs> right? So I have to give it to him phonetically. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to spell this out for you. Don't fuck it up. Oh, I, every time. I mean, I'm super stoked that you're here. I mean, your me last too. name makes me question things. But, you, you know, the rest of you is fucking awesome. I... Thanks I love a lot. People. <laughs> shitty last name, but the rest of you is great. <laughs> it's only shitty because I'm horrible at pronunciation. I am one of the worst. I will mispronounce a million things, hear it back and go, yeah, but that's, but what I meant was, and then I'll go into this whole explanation of like, that's not actually what the word means though. And I'll be like, yeah, but you got the gist of what I was trying to say. Right. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, okay, great. Then, then what's the, what's the problem here? Why can't I just say what I said? See what had happened was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm really excited that you're on the show, though, Joe, because I found out about you through, well, I started to find out about you actually just through the fashion industry with Trinidad Jeans, because that's a part of the industry I'm a part of. So I knew about this jean company slowly starting coming out and doing this stuff for vets and the way that they were doing it and how they were designing their jeans. But I didn't know the ins and outs to the fullest extent that I I wish I did. Now I'm glad I do because you guys are legit. Trinidad jeans is no joke. Thank you. Yeah, um, we're real. We're we're not fly by night. Uh, yeah, we're, we we exist. There there is a business. Um, it's it was something that like you know so many people kind of come and go as far as like brands go, or they start a social page and then they want to sell T-shirts or hats or this or that. Like it it was born in fashion, you know, and it mm -hmm. happened to have the, you know, it's, it's veteran founder who's my, my business partner, Trinidad Garcia, the third, hence Trinidad three jeans, uh, who is a, uh, FITM grad and FITM is a fashion Institute of design and merchandising, which is a huge fashion school based in Los Angeles. And in the U S the fashion industry, as far as like premium denim goes, it's all based in LA with the, mm -hmm. you know, few exceptions here or there, but almost everything is based there. And it has been the last 20 years or so since premium denim has really been kind of a big thing. Um, but he graduated there. He actually went to school uh, during his final enlistment in the Marine Corps. So he was going to fashion school at the same time yeah. that he was, you know, in charge of a machine gun section at a, at a reserve unit when he was on his uh, last active duty enlistment. So that was actually really cool. And whenever somebody tells you like, oh, you guys are Marines and now you're in the fashion business, like, what the fuck? Like, how does that work? And I'm yeah. like, hey, man, you know, we're breaking preconceptions every day. Right. Um, people always look at us kind of sideways. But yeah, it's it's totally born and born and bred in the fashion industry and just happens to have a, a veteran component to it. That's, you know, who we are. It's really fascinating to me to watch uh, premium denim, uh, denim come out and put a spin on it the way you are, because there are a ton of denim brands out there, it feels like right now. And 
I want to, before we kind of get into denim itself, I want to backtrack it a little bit about something that you said that was really, if you don't understand the fashion industry, and I don't even try to pretend to claim to, but the aspects of it that I do understand, there is something that is very well known. And there are fly-by-night brands. There are a lot of overturn of brands coming out, trying things, and then and dropping off. They'll be at one season buying session, but they won't be at the next. If it happens in our industry so rapidly and and you don't often see it coming it just happens boom done and it's over and it could be from many different things but it does happen frequently enough so i'm glad that you touched on that because it is important to acknowledge it's really difficult to grow a brand in the actual fashion industry if you want to be known as a real fashion brand and and not a um not just fly by night but uh what is that you know the What's that one like? The flavor of the week, the you know, the yeah, design just of kind the- of yeah, yeah, here, here and gone kind of thing. Yeah, and that's really important because you guys now have been around for how long? Brand's been around four years. Yeah, I mean that's impressive. You guys are coming up on that five year mark, that big one. I know it. Yeah, it's it's going to be huge. Uh, it's when you think about it, it's it's hard to kind of think about scale because when you think about four years, like a lot can happen in four years, and the, we think about our day to day lives now, like. I wish I had another four hours in my day just so that I can get through my to-do list of mm-hmm. shit that I have to do on the day-to-day. But like, as we're growing and expanding, it's more has probably happened in the last nine months to a year than it has in all previous months condensed, like in yeah. total, since the brand's been around. And, and it just, every day, it seems to just keep going and going and going, which is crazy. It's it's great. Everybody's like, oh, well, that's amazing. And you're like, I, I, I can't see straight. You know, yeah. It, it, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. Um, five years, it's kind of crazy to even think about when I can't even think about tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But like in fashion, it's so different in that the biggest thing that I think a lot of people getting into the the quote unquote fashion space or the quote unquote apparel space uh, is the cost of entry. The barrier to entry is extremely high. And it's not to say, oh, well, people, only rich people can do it. That's not at all. But you have to be nimble. You got to stay on your feet. You have to figure out how to get best pricing here, best pricing there uh, without sacrificing quality, which is a huge thing. Um, There's plenty of people that can do it for the right price, but are there people that are going to do it right or the way that you want them to? You know, and I think it's, yeah, it's one of those things that really separates, you know, people from, from shuffling laundry to true fashion. You know, you're telling a statement where we're building a story, we're supporting, you know, our mission on a day to day thing, you know, it becomes incredibly difficult when you think about, oh, well, the cost to make something, especially to do it here in the US or even North America at all, Mm -hmm. is exorbitantly high compared to to other places in the world. Um, And it it really does, you know, when when the Joe Schmo or Jane Schmo, whoever, uh, decides to like, you know, kind of have an artificial kind of opinion on the subject saying, oh, well, you know, this is so expensive, so on and so forth. Well, you think about the cost to make it, you know, and the amount of labor that goes into it. You know, we have our our own factory. We Mm -hmm. do stuff ourselves uh, with the exception of the laundry, which we couldn't, I don't have millions of dollars to go buy a washing machine and pay for water in California, which is, again, (laughs) it's a stratospherically high cost. Uh, But like, to do, to be able to do that is is a ridiculously high barrier to entry just on a day to day. Like if I wanted to be a billionaire, denim is not <laughs> how I would approach it. 
we're doing Denim this isn't because ideal. we want to, yeah, exactly. Right. It's fun. It's exciting. It's, it's one of the very few things that's truly like denim jeans are truly American. You know, the fabric, I don't think necessarily came from here, but the riveted blue jean, you know, Levi Strauss in the 1800s and the gold rush, you know, supplying miners with stuff. It's truly American. You know, mm-hmm. it's as American as Coca-Cola and Disney World or aviation I'm wearing, when you think about that. I'm wearing a pair of Levi's right now. Exactly. Right. And it's <laughs> kind of crazy when you think about the majority of production now of denim jeans in the world is not done in America. That's all right. It's all elsewhere. You know, so we're trying to bring that back as best we can uh, as efficiently as we can. Well, you're doing it at the right time. You're doing it before the implosion of what feels like <laughs> all of the import exports coming in and out of literally every other country besides North America into North America. My God, it's impressive because I understand the back end of what you're doing. Obviously not the specs, but it's the concept. We're in this space. We're in the space sure. of wholesale retail. We're in this space of consumerism. We're in the space of fast fashion. We're in the space of of legitimate fashion. And so with what you're saying about this isn't the space to, you need to have money to walk into it because there is a certain level of aspect. Sorry, let me try that again. There's a certain level of, um, there's a certain level that is just needed to be able to function properly, to run effectively, but not only run effectively, to know what you're doing, you need to hire the right people. And often what I see happen in our space is we have startups come up, you hire the people that you can hire, but they're not the ones that are going to get you to the next stepping stone that will allow you to benefit enough to then continue and hire better and better and better. And that's, that's an issue in this space. I find more so because people don't want to talk. People don't want to share information and people don't want to give anybody's tricks away. And it's so funny that you came on that I had you on right when I had you on because I was on Jeannie Becker's Beyond Style Matters yesterday and we had this exact oh, wow. conversation. Yeah, it's something that, you know, to look at doing here in the States, to be able to do it at a reasonable price, even just as from a direct-to-consumer standpoint, unless you're making hundreds of thousands or, or even tens of thousands of pairs, it becomes an exceedingly high uh, kind of level to get to, to look at being a profitable, you know, company, um, mm-hmm. or just a business in general. Right. So there's so many different aspects to it, like, you know, to kind of break it out and, and not to get totally nerdy, but to get totally nerdy. Let's get nerdy. Uh, yeah. So, you know, essentially you have this giant bolt of fabric, which looks like a huge, you know, wrapping paper roll of fabric that gets rolled out and it has to set for a certain amount of time in so many layers, and then they cut the pattern, right? The pattern that goes into it for so many different sizes for all this kind of thing. It's a ridiculous amount of process, right? Then it gets cut, then it has to sit, and then it goes to refinement, and then it goes into sewing, and then it goes to the next step, and then it goes into quality control, and then wash, and then half the people on this podcast are asleep, and then it has to go into finishing, right? There's so many. <laughs> They're steps. not There's... asleep. They're not. <laughs> no. This is interesting I to- stuff. I totally, I totally, I totally put, the, I totally put them to sleep with my, with my no. list. But, uh, but the thing, the thing being is there's so much to it, which drives the cost skyward, mm-hmm. right? So overseas, when they've got factories with hundreds, if not thousands, of people on a floor doing cut and sew, the, you know, the economy of scale is a lot easier to see, mm-hmm. right? And they can do it. Of course, they can do it for much cheaper. And do it at volume, 
But then when you think about, okay, well, if we're to do the same thing here, you need a billion dollar investment, you know, with, with something of that kind of scale, right? So when we're, we're growing it literally just as a business with a handful of people and every month we're doing a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And now we're starting to like pick up steam. Mm-hmm. So like all I, the hard I, work. As, well, the hard work, the persistence, luck is a big part of it. Um, you know, market conditions and, and sticking to our, you know, our guns and our story. Like we want to power a veteran with every pair. That's the mission. Right. You know, every, every single pair that we make, we want it to be able to make a difference in somebody's lives, whether they realize what we're working for or they realize like, hey, look, you know, it's okay to be able to support men and women who gave something for, you know, their country and kind of humanity to do something. Um, it, it's starting to, it's starting to take a real positive turn. Um, it's something I'm really proud of to kind of see. And, you know, I've been on the road for three weeks now, um, visiting retailers all over the country. And the biggest thing that people say is customers love the story. They Mm -hmm. love what you guys are doing. And it's so refreshing to hear because you get so bogged down in the day to day and the numbers here, the margin there, and we got to do this many units and we got to get finished this with the lot, you know, and it's hard to see, you know, it's hard to see the forest from the trees sometimes. But to hear that it's making a difference and people care, they're mm-hmm. bothering to pay something that's slightly more expensive than the, what they would pay normally, but they're investing in the mission. Like it makes me lose 20 pounds every time I hear it. And I love it because mm-hmm. I could lose another hundred pounds. It'd be great. Well, it's, it's, it's fantastic because I understand again, the process in which you have to, so you have to work to sell. You have to be on the road. You have to be your own rep. Are you repping? So are you guys in-house repping your product? across yes. the country. Yep. That's how you're keeping your margins smart, but also well, breaking I mean, you. I mean, we can, there's different ways to skin the cat, right? And there's different benefits to, to everything. You know, we could hire on agencies and do this and mm-hmm. that, and, and there's benefits to that. Surely um, it allows us to grow the business in different directions and do other things. But at the same time, like we're at a point in our coming out of our infancy to, to scale the business up into, you know, not just another you know, the medium-sized business eventually in the next year or two that we can do that the way that we want to do it um, mm. and not have a predetermined path of business in front of us that we have to deal with as kind of an obstacle in a way where, you know, if we want to make a decision and do something, we can do that. I, mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about having to run it through a filter of three different business models in order to achieve what we want to achieve as a brand, as a business. It's it's nice to hear though, because it this industry is so... It's so fickle and, and it is so fast moving and it's so, yeah. So it's really, it's really good to hear that when you were talking about the rep work and all of that. And, and of course there's different ways to do it. I do wonder, I want to ask you something because this is something sure. that we ran into and you and I are in the same space. Sure. So people say that to us, they love, they buy because of the story. They mm-hmm. love the story. Right. So have you guys gone the wholesale route yet with a rep? So yeah, we we've kind of we've gone through that a little bit and tested it. And what we found is that look, there's no there's nobody that's going to be able to tell your story better than you. You're, your you're story. going. Why shouldn't you tell it? You're you're like uh, this is exactly what I was talking. This is, was my point. Is it's you're saying without having to say it. There is something about us selling our own product because we understand it in a way that no one will 
nobody will understand the back end of why we support vets and how we support vets and why denim and why, why Trinidad and why this and why that you can tell that to anyone, but they're not going to convey it in the way that the emotion comes out. And when the emotion comes out, the buy happens. And when the buy happens, it's often bigger. It's often more supportive. They often go way harder for you in their retail location because they have something, they remember, oh, there's something unique about this brand in the store. It's not just another shirt yeah. or another pair of jeans. Right. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, an, it's not so much that, okay, well, it's like, it's a thing, right? It's not necessarily that mm -hmm. it's a widget. It's them it, it, it the act of selling really isn't it for me like i'm a horrible salesperson or you wouldn't <laughs> want me on a retail floor but at the same time if i'm if i'm talking to somebody about what i believe in it's an entirely different matter um and and mm -hmm. you know kind of what i've had to go through in life in order to get to my point and you talk to people about you know how did you get into this business how did you go from the marine corps to you know wherever you're at today so on and so forth you know, it, it's so there's a there's a Canadian author you may know his name's Simon Sinek, so okay. uh, fellow Maple Leaf like yourself, and he <laughs> wrote a really great book called Start with Why, and it's really the the point of being is like why are you doing this right Why are you doing what you're doing What's the ultimate end goal If it's to, if it's to make money That's not true That's a result Right It's a resultant of hard work and you searching for what you, why you're doing what you're doing So when people start to believe what you believe. Right, which is is what he says in his book over and repeatedly. Uh, it really is true because it's not something just buying somebody buying a widget from you because they get a great price. They're buying it because they believe what you believe, and that's mm -hmm. what matters. Right. If exactly. we're trying to power a veteran with every pair, then I want somebody to believe in what we're doing. You're, and you're so you're so solidified in that, and you're so honestly that's fantastic the way you say it because this is why you're able to sell the way you are able to sell because you believe and you're the passion that pours out of you and the truth behind the product it shows and it comes through truthfully and if you're not listen if you're not watching this you're only listening to this episode you should probably go watch it because there's something powerful about talking to an individual that not only loves what they do wholeheartedly but the passion behind it comes through. It's visible. It's palpable. I can see it. I can feel it. And that's what makes what you do special outside of it being an American made denim. It really does. You basically were going to, you, you just interviewed yourself uh, and asked all the questions <laughs> I'm about to. So I'm going to start asking those questions now, if that's okay oh, with you, Joe. That's hey, Joe. Totally okay with me. <laughs> hey, how are you? Good. Quick question for you here, my friend. The United States military. That's right. Okay. Let's talk about it. Tell me all about how, why, why did you become so, part of yeah, the institution? So, so interesting kind of turn of events led me to the recruiter's chair. <clears throat> and yeah, oh, it's fun. Uh, so essentially, you know, I had thought about it, you know, when I was younger and in high school and stuff like that. It was, you know, amazing. You read all the books, you see what's going on. And this was like late 90s, early 2000s, you know, kind of pre 9-11. And you know, then, you know, you get a little bit older, you discover girls and money and you're like, oh, wow, total distraction, um, <laughs> you know, and, and I wanted to go that route. And I got really involved in cars and I was doing high performance work with cars and sales and, and parts and stuff. And while I was going to college um, and it was just like, you know, regular community college stuff. And I wasn't enrolled at like a big university where I had to, you know, stay down the lane and focus on my studies. Um, I wanted to make money and be around cars and stuff. So I was working at a, at a Mercedes Benz dealership and all the new hot rods from Europe are coming out. <laughs> and I start to realize, hey, I really like what I'm doing. I learned how to sell. I watched other salesmen 
Um, I got to sit in the finance office and kind of help out a little bit, put some stuff together and realize, you know, hey, the, the sales is something you can parlay to anything in life, right? It's, it's personal relationships. That's it. Uh, when you boil it down out of all the other variables. But I started to do things on the side, made some money. And then I started making money as a 19, 20, 21 year old a lot quicker and in more abundance than I should have. And meaning that I had no management or financial understanding whatsoever. So mm-hmm. money that was coming in was going right out. And it was, you know, trips and girlfriends and cars and this and that. And it was all fun. But, you know, eventually it led me to I had to, you know, go standing tall in front of the man for, you know, a, a driving violation and basically looked at me and knew that, hey, you know, it you don't have a record that's, you know, really thick. In fact, you don't have a record at all. The fact that you're standing in front of me means, you know, you messed up. And I said, yes, sir, I, I understand that, you know, and I had to take my <laughs> shellacking and do my do my community service. Um, but at the same time, he said, you know, what you could really use is structure in your life. He's like, if, if I see you again, you're getting six months. And it was the the treatment I needed. And when I got in the car, I finished my, my time and uh, in community service, I went down to the recruiter's office and, you know, at, at, at they had suspended my license at the point. So I had to ask my lovely mother at the time to give me a ride. Uh, and she, she took me down to the recruiter's office and I'm, I'll never forget this. I put, she put the car in park and she looked at me and said, get out. And mm-hmm. that was like, yeah. And she was so mad and I felt so small. I felt like, mm-hmm. like, I felt like this big and I got out and, uh, I initially enlisted in the United States army. And then I found out that, you know, they were going to change a bunch of things in my contract, which is. If you know anything about recruiters and they tell you all kinds of this and that and you know sure you do whatever you want yeah but you're <laughs> gonna be a you're gonna be a parachutist and you can be a ranger and all these kind of things and turns out that was not the case so i uh i said no thank you and um i went down and, and had a a very brief conversation with the marine corps recruiter and he, mm-hmm. i remember him telling me he said i'm not going to promise you anything if you can pass the tests at MEPS and if you can get the paperwork done, the only thing that I'm going to be able to promise you is a chance that you can earn your title. And that's it. I'm not going to tell you anything else. Other than that, there's a website. You can go read whatever you want. And they said, you know, these are some leadership traits, blah, 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 you know, basic recruiter stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it was like the great reverse psychology trick, right? Mm-hmm. The, the dare. Like, I bet you can't do it. No, no, you're not good enough. And I was like, yep. okay. So I had to lose like 35 pounds in order to qualify. Oh. Yeah, I, I was chubby kid. Not unlike where I am right now. Please. Uh, but That's just love, honey. But, uh, there's a reason I raised the computer up. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, eventually made it. Yeah, I went in in uh, 2006. Cute. And I went in at 220 pounds, which was the limit for my height. Or barely, mm-hmm. like, it was like two pounds under. And I came out at 174 pounds. I was like literally half the man I used to know. Get some. You got yeah, was, all of this stuff. Yeah, I was like a size 38, almost 40 waist, and I came out a 30. Like, Dude. I could almost put my hands around. I mean, my hands are like oddly long, but like I could almost put my hands <laughs> around my waist. It was crazy. Joe Long Hands over here. Ha! Ha! So you just like decided I'm going to lose an entire body 
off of my current body while Basically, I'm becoming a yeah. Marine. Like I just cut myself right down the middle. Right. And yeah. So, I mean, it, it helped that it was in South Carolina. I went to Paris Island and it was June when I arrived. Oh, God. so like the humidity alone is enough to like <laughs> choke a goat. Like it, it's, it's bad. You can almost like reach out and touch it. And oh, it, it's so thick. Uh, but like I had grown up in Florida, so I spent 22 years in Florida. Um, so I'm used to it, but I was not used to the fact that you just sweat for four months on end. I actually got yeah. marooned at basic training oh. for four weeks, four and a half weeks. Oh so my God. yeah, I got sick and then they said, Oh, we're going to take your wisdom teeth out. And then, Oh, we're going to do this. And we're going to do that. It was like one thing after another. And I was like, I'm never going to leave this Island. Like I am imprisoned <laughs> on planet bullshit. Like stepbrothers. <laughs> Like, I was like, there's no way I can't, I can't get out of here. And eventually I did, you know, I classed up. I finally got a, a, a training platoon and I got out of there and then graduated. Jesus. First off, number one, never quote stepbrothers to me because that's my favorite. <laughs> that just distracts me immediately. Number two, it, it wouldn't have shocked me if you never got off the island. The way things are run, it feels like they're designed to just perpetually slow individuals. Wow. Yeah, we'll just hold them here. We'll just see how bad yep. they want it until they VR For out. Sure. And then eventually, once they do VR or they they pass on, then it solves its own problem. I think they like to just sit out and wait. Who's willing to wait? How bad does somebody want it? Often what happens. Yeah, absolutely. We had so, that happen yeah. a lot on Pat Platoon for us too. People would, if they didn't... Um, if they didn't have a course running right, right next, like back to back, you would sit on pad for like six months. I was fortunate. I didn't have to sit on pad at all, but I saw so many of the people doing it. And it was like killing their souls. They're like, there's nothing to do. We sit in a classroom right. all day. Like you're looking at a human body with no hope. And Run. they just look, they, they look like a skeleton. You're like, oh my God, how long have you been here? And they're like 47 years. <laughs> and it, it, like, you almost believe them. I met one one other recruit there i'll never forget his face and he was the most <laughs> i think he was like the, the the weakest human being i'd ever seen outside of like a national geographic special oh my god but he was like bound and determined to leave like he's like i'm not giving up i refuse and it was like really kind of oddly inspiring and oddly obviously inspiring to like sit down next to him and have lunch and and, and whatever because you basically don't have anything to do other than you have to read this recruit training manual. You listen to the drill instructor talk about things and then you eat and that's it. That's all you do, right? Do you, do, so, you do PT with them? Do you guys even If you're PT? able. So like if you're able, yeah, you do PT every day, um, six days a week, which is great because it breaks up the monotony. Otherwise you right. sit on a footlocker and read and read and read. and read. I, think, I think I had like at one point memorized at least half the manual. Oh. And like, like it was, you just read it cover to cover. You finish one end, you go back and start it over. You didn't have anything else to do. So, and I wasn't going to volunteer myself for anything because you don't do that in the military. No, so, you, you be voluntold only. You never volunteer. Exactly. You only voluntold. Right. It keeps you from dying. Yeah, absolutely. So when they ask for volunteers, you just shrink yourself as much <laughs> as you possibly can. Right. Um, but I remember I met this kid and I can never remember his name. I, I've tried for years and he was there for seven months and he had a fractured, uh, I think it was a tibia, a fractured Ooh. leg, like broken leg, nasty. And he had to stay until he healed and his bones just weren't healing the way they were supposed to. So he couldn't leave. But he said, I'm bound and determined that I'm going to be able to complete recruit training. And I'm like, 
cool, bro. Like, I hope you make it seriously. And it was a couple of yeah. weeks later I classed up and then I'll never forget about, it was about six, seven months later, I was in Pensacola finishing my training at Pensacola and I saw him. What? And he was, yeah, I saw him and he was coming in fresh, like from combat training, which is like the, if you're not an infantryman in the Marines, you go to combat training, which is like a, a condensed kind of field exercise course that you go to learn all the basics of being a Marine um, in the field and stuff like that. And I saw him and he was just looked like somebody had broken his soul, but he just refused to give up. And I was like, that's the most inspiring thing I've ever seen in my life up to that point. Like absolute utter will alone. And mm -hmm. he made it there. And it's, we're not talking about like Navy SEAL training where it will literally kill you, you know, in some aspects, like it's like, those guys are on a different planet, but just to see him get through that and then see his face again, like, I was like, you know what? I have no reason to sit and have an excuse about anything. My day does not suck. Like yeah. that guy pulled it off. And it just makes me feel so good when I think about it, especially like days today where you get bound, bound up by stress and you're trying to figure out ways to make things work. And then I think about that moment as I'm doing it like right now and I'm thinking about it, like I feel my positivity go up just because, you know, like if he can make it, I can make it. Of course, like, I can anybody can. I can do this. Anyway, I totally went on a rant. No, yeah, that's a good that's rant. That's a solid rant. No, I, I appreciate that rant, but a broken tib fib kind of situation is a very hard one to come back from. I'm surprised the Marines actually kept him physically just because of the damage those things do when you break those like that. I remember. Absolutely. Was it Vill yeah, Ryan Villapoto? He had a really gnarly crash um, uh, back when was this? I want to say in the 2000. It was after 2000. It was after, it had to be after 2012, 2013, one of the seasons. But I remember Brady and I were watching it and um, Brady's my husband and he used to race with Ryan and he, he landed off a jump and he put his two feet into the next, like he jumped off the bike kind of thing, put his yeah. two feet right into the next jump. And just, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how it happened, but just, they broke and they shattered. And I know he had some serious damage and to come back from like a tib fib, those are nasty, nasty breaks. It's silly because people are like, oh, it's just your leg. But it's like, if it's low enough near the ankle and it's high enough up near the knee, those are two issues right there that are much harder to fix. So sitting on Pat for seven months with that and it not healing, ugh, that yeah. just, and there's yeah, no, absolutely. there's no like physiotherapy. There's no, there's no like, let's try to work on this. This is like, if it heals, it heals. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is kind of weird because you think about your drill instructors when they're having to deal with these people for months on end, right? And they're stuck right. there too. They don't want to deal with your ass. You know, at that right. point, it's they're almost like glorified babysitters. That's not why they enlisted in the Marine Corps or chose to be drill instructors. Right. So, you know, dealing with this stuff and they really do kind of have that Drago attitude, you know, mm -hmm. where they just kind of look at you under their under that cover <laughs> and it's right. he, he dies, he dies. Yes, he does. Uh, but like he, <laughs> he, that kid did not give up, and it's like you know what? There may there may have been like some moment where he looked at a drill instructor who basically just like wanted him to fail, and he refused. Yeah, and that just it's just like the it, it's kind of like your little internal fuck you, man. I'm not right. doing it. Like you're gonna have to kill me to get me out of here. And maybe that's why they did let him stay. You know, maybe, maybe. he could have been a medical liability, but he wound up in aviation. So, you know, I know he's not gonna be humping a pack his whole enlistment, he's not going to be just wrecking his, his legs. He'll be doing a lot mm -hmm. of technical work. That's um, good though. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it was just inspiring as fuck to see another human being, you know, overcome something like that. Yeah, he um sometimes you want those that's what you want in a in a person is you want character, right? They they may have a physical like limitation or liability that maybe would have normally got them pushed out. But if you can have somebody that will go that hard for something and the character that takes to to be that yeah. type of human being, that's worth keeping, right? That's worth keeping around. Absolutely. Yeah, I, was, I think any any good leader is going to have an understanding of that. And I'm glad, mm-hmm. you know, the NCOs and the officers there at, you know, MCRD and, and uh, Beaufort, South Carolina at, at Paris Island chose to take a chance and say, hey, if he, well, he could hurt himself, but at the same time, like the Marine Corps needs and, and wants good character. I'm glad they did. Yeah, Riley Compton, we were talking about this, her and I were talking about this because she's an officer in the Marines. And she says they will they will push people out for being overweight before they push people out for an injury. Like they'll be the first right. to go. And I didn't right. realize that. I did not understand that process in the United States and how that worked in the Marines. That so was a really uh, insightful conversation to learn some of those things. So with you joining the Marines, what did that look like? Did you deploy? How did you deploy? Did you like what, what's what's your life? Tell me your life. Yeah. So I uh, went through, got was a stuck at Pensacola for nine months, uh, almost nine months, uh, for a three-week class. So that's why I started to learn about the hurry up and wait concept. Oh my God. Um, so yeah, the, at the time, the Marine Corps had a, a lot of availability and aviation support, and it wasn't even what I enlisted for. I enlisted to be a fire support man, which is fuel artillery. And yeah. um, it's like a forward observer type position, sim- similar to Forward that. observation officers. Yeah, so same, very same concept. Um, it's what my grandfather did in the Marine Corps. It's what my great grandfather did in the Marine Corps. So of course I wanted to do that. And you know they made it very clear, like, hey, look, it's the needs of the Marine Corps first. You can earn the title, but everything else is up to Mother Green. So mm-hmm. I said, okay, you know. So I put my my wish down, right? And then we get to finish recruit training, and we're going to we finish MCT, the combat training. And they start handing out the orders and they said, Pensacola, Florida. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm supposed to go to Oklahoma, you know? And they said, well, you can, you can deal with it or you can challenge it, but you'll be here six months to a year doing paperwork if you try and challenge it. So I'm like, all right, it's not worth that much to me. You know, I earned, I earned my title. I was there for what I wanted. Like if I want to do something later, I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So went to Pensacola, got stuck there, <laughs> um, went through all the aviation training that they needed. And I, I think they just taken out like thousands of Marines and they grouped everybody together by technical scores, whatever you scored on mm-hmm. your tests or something like that. Um, and sent us all to Pensacola at the same time, like both coasts, like everybody for months at the same time. So there's thousands of us waiting to go through this rinky dink three week course there. We get through and they say, Hey, where, where do you want to go? And I said, I want to go to California. I, I chose um, West Coast, what we call West Coast, the so west of the Mississippi River. I chose California. I chose Hawaii and Japan. And then they said, okay, uh, if you graduate, you know, like top of your class or whatever, you're in any awards or whatever, you might have a chance to, to pick where you want to go. Great. So we get there. I earned class uh, academics. So I got top of the class and, on GPA. Uh, and they said, where do you want to go? And I said, you know, West Coast, Hawaii or Japan. They said, great, here's orders to Fort Worth, Texas. <laughs> and I'm like, there's no Marine Corps base in Fort Worth, Texas. There is now. And, like, <laughs> and I'll never forget this master sergeant handed me these orders and he goes, enjoy a Cowboys game. And I'm like, okay. Oh. All right. 
So this is what it's like to be a Marine is to ask for what you want and then to be given something completely different. I was like, all right, I'm never going to answer any more of these questions because <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. So it I doesn't matter. I, no, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it's, it reminds me of the rock, like the, when he was wrestling or, or whatever. And, and, you know, he would say, it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't fucking matter what you think or, or mm-hmm. what you have to say or something along those lines. And that was really just kind of the mental version of that for me. It's like, fuck it. All right, whatever. So I get there. I'm all pissed off because, you know, I'm in Texas. I wanted to go to California and I'm cranky. And then I realized I had followed in the training pipeline with one of the guys I was in boot camp with. We wound up going all the way through together. His name's Ben. Oh, wow. And one of my best friends to this day. And we wound up serving there together as a reserve unit. So, yeah. Oh, wow. I had no idea what I was getting into. And turns out the reserve unit function, I didn't know this at all. So it's called an INI billet, right? So inspector, instructor. So I didn't know what to inspect. And I sure as hell couldn't instruct anybody on how to do it. So <laughs> I was just like, you know what? All right, we'll, we'll see how this works. And it turns out I was with some of the best Marines I've ever met in my life. And I was lucky as hell to be sent where I was. Because uh, I never would have been able to learn and fail and succeed the way that I have in life had I not gone through that experience and experienced those Marines. Those guys gave me inspiration for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. They also gave me, you know, some of the worst hangovers I've ever had in my mm-hmm. life. And, but honestly, best friends I could have possibly imagined and a reserve unit and on the aviation side, they're the only, it was, so I got to work on F-18s. I was an ordinance man. So F-18s are the Hornet, which is the same, jet fighter that the CIF flies. And mm-hmm. we actually did exercises with the CIF whenever they would come down south uh, yeah. in the wintertime because they would always park their jets in Texas or San Diego because nobody wants to be cold. So like, no, we would go down there to Fort Worth to do workup because it looks right. exactly. warm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, so we get to hang with some of them, but like to do that kind of work, we normally need a shop of 25 to 35 Marines to do the job of a squadron of 12 aircraft. I mean, it's a lot of stuff. And they're 40-year-old airplanes, so they break literally about every 15 seconds. Um, I mean, if you had a car that broke down every 15 seconds or every day, like, you'd you'd burn it down. Like, you'd just give it away. You wouldn't use it as your national security. Yeah, exactly, right? Defending your southern border or, you know, propping up your active duty component. Yeah, sure. Ah. Uh, (laughs) No, who needs that shit? So... uh, we had to learn to do it with a crew of seven wow. to maintain a, a small squadron of 12. To, and I think at one point we had like 16 aircraft. So we were literally <laughs> like, fix it. So we'd fix something and then we'd run across the flight line and go fix something over here and go all the way back. And it was nonstop, but it was one of the coolest things. Now that I look back, it was one of the coolest things you could possibly do. And in the moment, like you bitch and whine and moan about it. Cause that's mm-hmm. what Marines do. If Marines are bitching and moaning, something's up. Right. right. It's just, it's, you know, especially junior Marines, like there's always crying about something. I'm hungry. I want to, you know, I want to send pictures. I want to do this or that or whatever kids do these days. I got, it. sound like grandpa Simpson. But, That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. You can sound like, like that. But like, it's, it's totally true. It like it, it, it gave me the experience and the skills, the soft skills and some of the hard skills that I'd need for the rest of my life to be able to, to, to conquer and do what I needed to do. And the best part was, is I had no fucking clue in the moment. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. But 
go looking back on it, I draw back on my experiences there all the time, at least once or twice a week. I think about this happened to me here. And what did I, how did I get myself out of that situation? Or how did I get myself into that situation? What did I do that worked? Mm-hmm. What did I do that fucked up and I got busted or I did, I got, you know, <laughs> moved this here, did that, got in trouble, whatever. You know, the other thing is um, that I learned there before I got out is I learned how to take feedback. And I learned how to understand constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. And constructive criticism in the Marine Corps is not like, hey, let's sit down and work out how to do this better next time. No. It's, hey, fuck face, come here. <laughs> Let me show you what you fucked up. Um, yeah. <laughs> also, I hope we don't have sensitive ears on this podcast. Have you uh, listened to any of my other episodes? <laughs> of course I have. I'm just trying to okay. be polite. Uh, but <laughs> well, good. So, so essentially, like, in doing and understanding that it prepared me for my life that I didn't know was coming. That was literally right around the corner. And yeah. I, yeah, I got out in 2010. We deployed 2009. We went to Iraq and we were at West. We were in Western Iraq and we were there for 87 days. So we actually got booted from the country. What'd you do, Joe? So we didn't know <laughs> that. so we didn't know like at the time that there was a whole like political scheme going on with the iraqi government and the u.s armed forces so we the our aircraft were flying overwatch for basically these these teams of men and women on the ground who are going to find bad guys and the iraq it got it it basically got to the point where i think and, and and this may there may be some truth to this there may be some fuzziness but like as far as i remember i remember one of the guys talking saying that they got to a point where they were so good that the iraqi government couldn't politically cover for some of the corruption that was going on oh. and, and and who knows if it's really true but like basically they got to a point where every night they were going out and getting bad guys to where it was having adverse effects on some of the political decisions they were making uh-oh. And the other thing was is that these bad guys, they don't hide in plain sight. It's not like where you have force-on-force combat where, like, here's the enemy base. We're going to bomb the enemy base. No, that's not how that works. They hide in neighborhoods and where they know that, okay, well, the U.S. isn't going to drop a 2,000-pound bomb in a neighborhood, you know, um, necessarily. I mean... But, you know, I mean, look, history is history, and we're lucky that we didn't have to be put in that position. Thank God. Right. Uh, yeah. Construction standards in Iraq aren't exactly Western construction standards. So when somebody <laughs> yeah. put when somebody puts even a small amount of munition into a neighborhood, it levels the fucking neighborhood. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were we were lucky enough, even though we had to go home early, we all cried about it. We wanted to go to Afghanistan. Everybody enlisted in the Marine Corps to go to deploy and you spend six or nine months in workups. You don't want to just cut and run, mm-hmm. you know. So our commanding officer at the time said, okay, we'll make a plea to the Commandant of the Marine Corps for Aviation, who's a three-star general. So he's big wig. You know, there's, there's Jesus, and then there's the Commandant of the Marine Corps as far as we're <laughs> concerned. So it's the guy that's just under him. Just under know, Jesus. He, right. The guy just under Jesus. I don't know. It's like the Apostle John of the Marine Corps, I, I guess you could say. <laughs> but basically, uh, they said, hey, look, we'd love to be able to send you, but we can't support you guys over there. We don't have any. If you break an airplane, we can't fix it. So, right. okay, I get that. 
and we were too the airplanes were actually too old and rickety that they wouldn't be able to be put on a boat oh. because yeah that's how old these things were so they yeah, were but do actually, you want to have that flying over enemy lines anyway for a pilot i mean if it works it works like, uh if it keeps working mid yeah you know i mean look we had some ingenious solutions to issues with those airplanes in the air so tape like is a beautiful thing hey that's why they get hey. to us <laughs> <laughs> it's the cure-all and fix-all of all things hey look when it's a 50 million dollar airplane or a 50 dollar skateboard it works both ways right so <laughs> it, it doesn't matter just make it just make it work and if it works it works um, those u.s taxpayer but, dollars come in handy very handy yes <laughs> Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And then we came home, we were home just in time for Christmas. We were really lucky. Everybody came home, all our fingers and toes. Um, some of the guys had a bit of a rough time, even though we weren't there for very long. Um, but they're just weren't used to being away from home. You know, they signed up thinking they would just go to college and, you know, be their civil servant at home, a police officer, firefighter, excuse Mm -hmm. me. And then, uh, realize, oh, I'm going to be away from home for months on end. I've never done this before. It's, it's really hard, it's messes hard. with people's heads. Yeah, it's, it's severely. A lot of people don't give it the credit it's due. Because when you think about, like, our generation, when we went to war, that it wasn't, it wasn't like the World War II generation, right? Or even Korea or Vietnam, where people knew and had a, somewhat of an idea that was going on, right. right? We didn't have as distracted a civil society as we do now, where it's very kind of, self-inclusive um you, you're kind of in your own bubble a lot and and yep. you know it's video games and my life and this or or that you're not thinking about what's going on overseas geopolitically and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. now you find yourself you know what you thought was just going to be a way to pay for school has turned into now i'm carrying my m4 and my desert camouflage because if i don't i might be shot right you know so it, it's a it's a culture shock but a lot of times it's an emotional weight that some people nowadays really just aren't built to, they're not built to carry. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's the important thing is that it's okay. Um, and I think one of those things that we dealt with over there, like there, I think there were some guys that went through some divorces. They were gone for 87 days and yep. their wives or girlfriends or, or husbands or whoever it was, you know, just said, we can't do this. The amount of people I know while on my deployment that were Marines and Army and Americans that were going through divorces halfway through, they would email. And then all of a sudden you'd see them they're all happy to walk into the comms tent, come out off the computer, you know, hat in hand, bawling eyes out. Well, my bank account's empty. Well, my stuff's gone. Well, my kids are like just this. It happens so frequently, so frequently. Right. And it's something that a lot of people don't understand, especially in our, like in our community as vets, right? retirees included, like they think, well, how are these people, you know, how does this guy who never actually earned a combat action ribbon, how does he end up suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder? Why is he in the VA? And, you know, our community is very um, self-immolating like that. We like to light each other up and tear each other to pieces because we think some people are more valuable somehow. Right. It's fucking ridiculous to me. Yeah, now, you don't have to agree with all of this kind of shit, but at the same time, it's kind of like you don't have to be a dick about it either. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't get me fired up at all, obviously. Obviously. Uh, I mean, your facial obviously. expressions don't change body language, skin color. That's right. Absolutely nothing changes about that. 
in you when you get in that topic. There's no reason right? for it yeah, either, not at right? All. No. So, so like, and I start to understand and I realized that, you know, I went through my own divorce um, and I'm starting to think, okay, well, if I were to go through this right now, but mm-hmm. this happened while I was on deployment, I would be a fucking wreck. Like there'd be no way I'd be able to to try and hold it together for, you know, for my Marines or the Marines that I had to report to or so on and so forth in my unit. I would be a liability immediately. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I understand why they, a lot of those guys and girls get sent home because mm-hmm. you can't be in, you can't endanger yourself to the rest of the community. There and needs to be something... a compartmentalization that happens and it's just not possible for some individuals and there's no fault of their own. If they're not taught, they're not educated how they don't, they didn't grow up in a certain household to understand that there are things that happen or changes that go on in life. They just are not equipped to deal with it. If they don't have the tools in the toolbox. How do you expect somebody right. to fix the problem? That's right. Absolutely. It's absolutely right. If you don't have the brain for it, you're not going to pass the test. That's okay. That's it. It, right. And, and that's the, the hard part to get people to understand is they just look at everything in such a black and white manner. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're either, it's either, everything in life is pass fail and that's total shit. Everything mm-hmm. in life is gray. Life is gray matter, right? Very few things do we encounter in life that's either this way or that way, right? And on a spectrum of human emotion, right? Right. Because there's always those external and internal variabilities that change everything, right? And nobody, and, and, and then you look at like, why do we have such a high rate of suicide in our community? And look, everybody wants to think about the gorilla in the room, but nobody wants to talk about it, mm-hmm. right? They think it's like it's cooties or some shit. Like somehow it's going to get stuck on you. Like the reason it is, the reason it is like it, itself kind of it, it kind of exploding in our community is because nobody wants to fucking address it. Oh, I'll address and, it. I'll address it right. all day it, long. Right. And there's so few of us that will. And it really kind of, it's gotten to the point of like, we need to be able to understand each other on a human to human level. Because Mm -hmm. when you're thinking about how I interact just as an individual, right? How individuals react to each other. Most of it's through social media. What you lose in social media in commentary is context, Mm -hmm. inflection, tone of voice, facial recognition, all of these things that human beings need to survive and thrive in an environment. And we don't get that. That's why I use voice messages. Yes, absolutely. Even yeah. though it's incredibly hard to listen to voice messages when I'm driving on the road. I know. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you're not the only one to complain about it. Everyone I do it to bitches and whines, including my husband. He literally has stated, and I quote, if you send me one more of those fucking messages, I'm not listening to it. So I don't know what you said. I don't know at all what you were trying to tell me. You're going to have to type it. That's like he really could have had a really sweet message about how it was going to be a really good time when he got home. And then all of a sudden he got to miss out because he didn't want to hear it anymore. Fine. Hey, whatever. Be yep. a dick. Voice messages are difficult. You got to turn one thing off to listen to it on this part. And then it stops the music here. Then you got to connect the head. It's a whole thing. So I get it. So I intentionally do it. If you want to hear from me, you'll listen to my <laughs> voice message. Context doesn't get lost. My emotion and what I'm trying to say and my tone doesn't get lost. And then right. you can never assume that I was being a difficult bitch. Right. No, Unless I know, was. I, would have, I really would have thought like, you know, you would have just been easygoing about it. But nah. I'm just teasing Brady. Don't take it too hard. If it makes you feel uh, any better, other people feel this way when I send them voice messages. <laughs> of course. I'm not alone. Uh, no, you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> But voice like, messages for I'm, life now. Good job. Yeah, I'm okay with that now. I'm, I'm good. Okay. I will learn to stop wherever I'm at and then listen and then keep going. 
It puts um, you in the present moment, Joe. Don't you see what right. I'm trying to do for your mental I mean, health here? I need to live in the moment. You're right. Right. Uh, but like on our community being the way it is, like everybody just chooses. Com- yeah. Let me not say that. Let me say it's much easier to choose comfort and complacency versus addressing an issue, right? Whether it's emotional trauma, physical trauma, um, divorce, all of these kind of effects on individuality, they affect our society differently today than they did, let's say in the 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s and later, because our Mm -hmm. society is in a different place. Mm -hmm. We're not prepared as a species to communicate the same way we did back then, because we just don't live there now. We've advanced as a society and a culture, right? And then if you put us in those rudimentary spaces, like conflict or combat or being away from home for long periods of time, it shakes up the the system. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, different people come from different places. So they're going to react differently, right? We all had our own lives before we did that. And then we get there and you wonder why you have problems, you know, and there's no, there is no one solution right? It's everybody's different. Mm-hmm. But having the ability to be able to address the issue and address the problem, like what you do with the support for mental health issues and all of these things, the reason it is so important is because we have, we have to be able to realize and say, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's step one. Yeah. And advocacy and those things like that help, but we got to do the action, right? We yeah. have to take the next step. We got to say, you got to reach out and whoever it is or whatever it is, we got to say, Hey, it's okay to feel the way that you're feeling. Mm -hmm. It might not be productive, but it's okay. We're here for you. We know, we know that it sucks and it's in a bad, you're in a bad place, but you're not alone. Right. Um, And starting there. And we would think that over the past few years that we would have some success of addressing this issue. But I think our society and culture moves so quickly from topic to topic. That it mm-hmm. often gets lost. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't disagree with that. We've been screaming about mental health for the past five years in this company. We've been trying to drive that message home for for what feels like forever. And you're now starting to see it be a discussion in the civilian population. So it almost it almost gets drug over to the veteran population. It's like we've been trying to talk about this. We've we've been talking about this well before you were acknowledging it in the civilian sector and. Now that we have that almost quiet permission from the civilian side to to acknowledge that, hey, it is difficult, the military life, the style, the way we do things, how we do things, why we do things, it's difficult, it causes issues, it causes long-term problems. It's okay to have those problems and issues, but what are we doing about them? How are we moving the conversation forward and putting in real action? We we as vets and, and soldiers and retirees and all of these people who come from a background who know how to prep and execute missions and and things along those lines why why is it that we're struggling so hard with something like this you would think we should be able to sit down plan something on a larger scale and just execute like a mission i don't understand yeah and i think a lot of it is distraction right Mm -hmm. also a lot of it is people have a hard time and this is understandable uh, from this is just in my experience people have a hard time recognizing that there's a problem our de facto fallback position has been everything is okay. We're mm-hmm. going to be fine. Everything is okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not how you find problems, right? Right. Respectfully. 
So, and, and I understand, look, it, addressing these issues and addressing these topics is hard. Divorce is hard. Death and family is hard. Um, you know, being away from home is hard. These are all hard things. Now, put combat and conflict on top of that, and you can see why it compounds the interest, right? Mm-hmm. On uh, your your return on investment for sending people to conflict is massively it out. You know, the the negative. Toll that you're going to pay in human capital and human, you know, desocialization is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we, we have the largest percentage of veterans and population in, in history right now. Isn't that wild? Yeah, it's crazy. When you would think, oh, well, well the World War had that many. No, we had more. We have more. It's the longest conflict the U.S. has ever been in. And the U.S. is, it seems like every other day there's some sort of new war going on. Mm-hmm. But with as many million, the millions and millions of vets that are out there, we have everybody in the country within, I think it's like one or two connections is associated with a veteran from the global war on terrorism post 9-11 to today. Oh, it's insane. When every, anytime I go down to do a, a trade show in the United States, or I go do an event in the United States, I am not exaggerating when it's like that. Oh, my, my grandson. Oh, my uncle. Oh, my, my sister, my, I have never seen anything like it. It is so prevalent, especially when you're at trade shows, because you're getting people from all over the United States coming to these shows. And all right. of a sudden it's like one after the other, after the other. And in Canada, we just don't have, I, we don't have that. We don't have that culture behind it. We don't have that way of looking at it behind it. We don't have that one to, between one and two people connection our vets. We just don't have that. So it's very rarely acknowledged. I mean, the only time it's acknowledged is right around this time of year where we wear poppies for 11 days. And then, and then even now there's a group that's trying to use the poppy politically um, because of the lockdowns up here. So it's really wrong and gross, frankly. Um, But it's, it's, it's something that's happening. So we get 11 days out of the year where people wear a flower and acknowledge us. And that's, that's that. And that's the deepest, the conversation goes for vets in Canada. It's very, surface level, it's not deeper than a cookie sheet. The mental health isn't looked after up here just as much as it is that isn't down there. It's, it's sad that it's taking our own community to fix ourselves, but that's what gives me hope though, is because our own community is who has got it done for the past 20 years. We'll get it done right. again. Yeah. I, I, I really agree. And it gets tougher politically because we have such a high changeover rate here in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we have a new president every four years. There's a new congressional election every other year, uh, and senators are typically for every four to six years. So there's always changing agendas and priorities and things like that. And it's in certainly in saying this, like, yeah, we have a huge problem with taking care of our veterans, you know. And if we're going to pay the trillions of dollars to send them overseas to combat, then we can spare a few billion dollars here at home to take care of them after we have to set them on their trials and tribulations over there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and deal with losing arms and legs and worse, uh, or, or you know, having to you know, doing the right thing and taking care of our gold star families who, you know, their family, you know, mother, daughter, father, you know, whoever gave their life for their country, mm-hmm. <laughs> their fellow uh, servicemen and women, you know, we really need to be making these things a priority. And it's slowly mm-hmm. starting to move that direction. And I'm excited to see that, that we actually have momentum going that direction. It's very hard to take a very negative look at it, but there are a lot of good people doing good work, even in the VA, which very commonly gets taken down as, you know, a very horrible, you know, um, in the in the VA for those listening is the Department of Veterans Affairs um, mm-hmm. here in the U.S. that takes care of 
our, our warriors, you know, when they come home uh, or come back to, you know, kind of regular civilian life. Um, but when you look at it like that, it's not what that kind of offers politically is a one size fits all. And that's not going to work. Right. You know, you got however many millions of, of veterans, you know, well, how are you going to, you can't take care of everybody the same way. That's it's right. just, it's an impossibility, right? But there are good people trying to try, you know, trying to try and find new solutions, trying to figure out new ways to do things to help people, you know, and, and unfortunately it's incredibly expensive and in getting Washington to, to understand the political scheme, you know, maybe a few extra billion dollars off, off of your $800 billion defense budget, you know, to help take care of the people that really need some help after doing your work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe that's something you need to think about after having them stand in burn pits for six months on end. And yeah, that would be ideal. All, yeah. Developing all kinds of cancer uh, and this and that and all that kind of stuff, even exposure to the chemicals we dealt with in aviation, mm-hmm. it causes cancer, you know, and, right. and nobody's really speaking up for those things. But in a nutshell, I, I know we're working on it. It's tough. It's, it's having conversations like ours where we can freely open and talk about it, like really makes a huge difference. But well, I have found, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say burn 360 is an incredible foundation that I know is doing the work for burn pit exposure. Um, and they're doing some serious work on the Hill and Capitol with pop smoke. I know that they've been driving bills home and trying to change things and get people covered and get people support. And I know that they have been doing it, but it is few and far between. Like yeah. I said, it's going to take our own community. I really believe yeah, that. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're right. I'm hundred percent in agreement with you there. There's one, there's another one. The Hunter seven foundation has done some yep. really good work, uh, bringing about the awareness of burn pits and things like that. Um, and our, our mutual friend uh, uh, at Veteran with a Sign has been a great supporter of the cause. Ah, Zach and, and Bell. Shout, out to, <laughs> shout out to Zach. Uh, right. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see some growing developments. There's lots of organizations out there now that I'm seeing that are actually taking the physical step of reaching mm-hmm. out to people and saying, hey, why don't you come join us? Come do this, you know, reaching out and, and kind of, it's, they're not doing this necessarily to try and save lives, but they're trying to do this to, let people understand you can have a productive life after the military. We don't have a yep. mission when we get home. So mission-oriented mind, mission-oriented lifestyle, but no mission. It you know, kind of short circuits a little bit. So um, there's one uh, nonprofit that we support with every pair of our jeans. We actually, so I want to show That's this to geez. you. So in every pair of our jeans, we have, obviously it's it's our little sticker there. Pretty so it's going to be three, but on the back, <gasps> we have MVP. a little call-out tag. That's right. So we have, uh, if you can see that, it says MVP, Merging Vets and Players, which was founded by uh, Nate Boyer and Jay Glazer. Um, Nate, who, who shout out to Nate, our spokesman here at Trinidad 3, he's but also the founder. At, that's right. He uh, He's an amazing human being. I love that dude. And him and Jay Glazer, you know, got together and said, hey, well, you know, how do we figure out a way to bring guys who are coming out of leagues and, and girls and guys and girls who are coming out of the military because we have a lot in common psychologically and emotionally like we lived in worlds that are just compared to most civilian you know lives are just unrealistic mm-hmm. right it's not representative of day-to-day life um in, in kind of common america i guess so when we get out we have nowhere to go and we're used to living life at 100 miles an hour every day right it's go 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 stop and then wonder why we have a problem so uh, the organization MVP, Merging Vets and Players, takes guys who and girls who are coming out of leagues and combat vets, and we work out together. We mentor each other. We have some great counseling time together. We go to sporting events together. 
or community events or help each other, you know, around the house, do this, do that. Like let each other know like, hey, look, we're there for each other. It's okay. We have a team again. And I was at the grand opening of the Dallas chapter that just opened. And nice. Jay came out and the whole team was there. We must have had a hundred people in the house. It was awesome. Even Michael Irvin uh, was there and like came in and shared some sweat with us. It was really cool. And the different, the, the concept of what Jay brought was that you are different and that's okay. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be different. You're at this point in life and what you've done, you're going to be different. You can't hide that and you shouldn't. Right. But we can be different together. Right. And that's the, the biggest message that I got across from him having his, that, that moto speech that we call it, right. That almost like a little pre-deployment speech. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is your time to be ready. This is your time to put it together. And every week, you know, I, I wish I could go a lot more than I, than I can, but I'm obviously on the road. <laughs> We're right. moving jeans and, and sharing our mission. But um, when I'm when I'm there to work out with everybody, like it's such a positive environment. Even when people are having a hard time, it's a positive environment, right? They know that it's safe to be there, and it's a it's a cool place to be able to to kind of grow individually and as a team, as a unit. Um, and we're proud to be able to support an organization like that that's got chapters all over the country now. Um, I think Atlanta, Chicago, New York, LA, Seattle, um, and, and more are popping up every day. Uh, in Dallas, obviously. Um, shout out to Denver Morris, who runs a Dallas chapter. He's doing a great job. Um, but that organization really puts their money where their mouth is. They don't hide it. It's fully transparent. It's right here. Hey, look, this is what we're doing. Get on the train, right? Let's go. And it's such like it's an overwhelming approach, but it works, right? It's what we need. Somebody to kind of put that drill instructor hat on for a second and say, get on the fucking train. Like, mm-hmm. let's do this. Pick yourself up. We just need a little so. instruction sometimes. And when we're so used to being told what to do, when to move, how to move, when to eat, how to eat. Sometimes you just need a little reminder that you are different. It's okay to be different, but there's also a different way to approach those people, right? Too, and incentivizing and movement and, and getting them going again. It often is needed that type of individual to come in and be like, okay. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I used to, I used to hear this saying from this old gunnery sergeant that we had, John Lucas, and he would say he had been in since like Marines were satines. So like the old <laughs> green, like Vietnam era uniforms. And he had a horseshoe haircut and always had like oh. eight pounds of fucking dip in his mouth. Uh, I love you, John. I hope you see this. Um, but <laughs> Gunny Lucas, he would say different horse, different carrot. Right. And, and it's just something like it's we all chalked it up saying, oh, it's just old man talk. You know, but now that I'm an old man, I understand the fact like, hey, look, it takes different things to motivate different people. Right. right? And that's OK. Sometimes it's a swift kick in the ass and sometimes it's a, it's a handshake. You know, or how you doing mm-hmm. that gets people going. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I could tell you stories about that guy, but I'm not going. OK, well, we're going to have to tell me when we're not on. But I know I know that's uh, I know that we'd have a lot of time left here. So I want you within that. Tell me exactly who, what, when, where, how we find everything Trinidad 3 and how everyone can support you guys. That's, that's very kind of you. Um, first off, I really appreciate the chance to be able to come on the podcast and just have a chat with my friend um, yeah, man. and just Anytime, talk about bro. things that are important to us and important to our community. And, I mean, this could have gone on easily for like three or four hours. 
Oh um, yeah. Don't worry. So, you're going to come back on. Don't even stress yeah. about it. I know you got a time limit <laughs> but, today. So we'll, we'll think yeah, about the I episode mean, two, three, four, out, five. Um, but I uh, got to get down the road, but um, well, you can find us at www.trinidad3.com and that's Trinidad, T-R-I-N-I-D-A-D, the number three, three, uh, dot com. And you can find us at about 40 different um, men's retailers across the country. Um, you can find you can find most easily through Google. We don't have our retailer sockets page up yet on the website that's coming. I'm so sorry for anybody that's seeing this. That's one of the sockets. I still love you so much. Um, you okay. can also find us on uh, Nordstrom.com. That was uh, something that came up last year, which was an interesting opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. So we're carried. We have a limited selection that's carried there. Uh, but the majority of our stuff is carried on the website and in our retailers uh, directly. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if anybody has any questions about anything, they can find me at, at JL at Trinidad3.com is my email. You can shoot me a message. Tell me I'm crazy or, you know, Hey, I really enjoyed Kelsey's podcast. Um, but um, it's been something that like, to give you an idea of what we've been going through and, and how Trinidad has been able to design the amazing genes that he has in this short amount of time that we've actually had a wholesale business that we launched last August in the middle of mm-hmm. a roaring lockdown induced pandemic uh, is absolutely astounding to me. And we have styles now that retailers are ordering every week all the time. And they say, we can't get enough. We can't get enough. We can't get enough. Uh, Trinidad has built a story and a brand that I think is going to be here for many years to come. And we couldn't, you're more thankful for the people that are sharing that journey with us, you know, customers, retailers, friends, you and Zach and, and everybody else, you know, that has proudly kind of worn the colors that it means a lot to us to, to be able to do this. And, and hopefully we can, we can grow our mission every day. Well, we're proud to be a part of it. We're proud to support you and what you do at the Trinidad three, but also what you guys do for MVP and your continual work in the community. It's only going to get better. It's only going to get bigger. And I, I really look forward to not only just, watching you guys grow, but continuing this conversation, having these deep, these deep, important conversations that we need to be having about mental health, about our vets, about the reality of what this is and what it's like within this community. It's the truth and it's okay to talk about it. And I'm so stoked that you came on Joe and I'm so grateful that you were here and we will tag everything in the descriptions and you guys can go find everything Trinidad three at Trinidad three.com and make sure that you support those local businesses before you go to Nordstrom, we love Nordstrom, but hit those homies, hit them hard because they are the bread sure. and butter of their businesses, right? Is, is independent. And you got to understand those independents work super, super hard for these people. They, re- they, they believe really in do. Their story. They bust their ass. Yeah. yeah they believe for in sure. your story, man. And that's special. Thanks a lot. One quick no shout worries. out. I want to say yeah. thank you to Griff for being able to put us together uh, earlier this year when we, when we did our, um, our giveaway, that was amazing. Griff, you're yeah. the fucking man. You know that. We all he knows know that. it. And, Don't and combat and be sure to get your combat flip flops. Absolutely. And use the code Unity. Right. Use the go. code Unity to get twenty five percent off everything at Combat Flip Flops. Hey, is that a beer over there? Um, it's a beer. Our brass and Unity beer came out yesterday. What? We launched it. Uh, we're donating one hundred percent of the proceeds to Honor House, and we partnered with the Trading Post, and we have an amber lager that will be officially available to purchase on November eleventh. That's amazing. Everybody go yeah. get your brass and unity uh, yeah. beer when you can. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, man. Dude, we'll talk soon. All right. All right. Stay on with me here real quick and we'll talk to everybody else next week.